Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 AM ESPN Radio, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. If you want to join us, give us a call at 888-728-9941. Jeff, Philadelphia teams are 14-0-1 They're since on the fire. Eagles won the Super Bowl, minus spring training games that don't count, mm-hmm. of course. Um, yeah, the Phillies lost today. They did. Yeah. Um, way to go screw things up. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> um, do you believe what's going on right now? This is an amazing time to be in Philly, isn't it? What happened? I don't know. I went, I went to the Flyers game last night, and it was just insane. I mean, they're playing so well, and they're on their fourth goalie in the last month. Yeah, we'll get into Flyers a little bit yep. later. Uh, we'll get into Sixers a little bit later. We are going to start with the Phillies, right? It's baseball time. How excited are you? I am excited, especially when you look outside and you see this lovely weather. Yeah, well, we I, I so we are thrilled to be joined right now by uh, Jim Salisbury from down in Clearwater. Jim, we're not going to ask you about the weather. We did <laughs> okay. Uh, it's not very nice here, so congratulations on uh, avoiding the rain. <laughs> you win. You win. <laughs> um, I hear they played well, I heard, some. Ba- I heard it was there nice. I heard it was there uh, nice there this week. No, it was. It went from about seventy degrees to forty degrees in about three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah okay, well. some some different changes here but i hear they played some baseball today there in clearwater actually next door over in dunedin just Dun- a few miles up the road and uh, but there was baseball in clearwater i mean there was a lot of uh you know working out and um, drills and typical spring training stuff and then uh the travel roster headed just up the road to dunedin and they played the blue jays uh the phillies ended up losing two to one but uh nick pavetta Mark Leiter, they got some work on the mound, uh, Francisco Rodriguez. And, um, you know, it was the official Grapefruit League opener, so there's uh, still a long way to go down here and a lot of pieces to put together. But, you know, it's off and running. <laughs> so so what what have you observed? I know it's very, very early. But so what did you observe about Nick Williams? I saw he went two for two, so I guess I'll be get batting 1,000 for spring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's, you know, he's uh, – Obviously, he came up last year, played like half a season up there, drove in a bunch of runs. Uh, one, of his, one of his weaknesses in the minor leagues was uh, selectivity and plate discipline, and um, I still think he needs to cut down on his strikeouts, um, walk a little bit more. But, you know, he, didn't, he drove in runs last year. When he got opportunities to drive the ball, he really did a good job with that. And he has showed up to camp here. Um, you know, everybody says so-and-so is in great shape. I'm almost leery to say that about Nick Williams because he is always in great shape. Uh, He's a real, um, you know, he's just a good-looking athletic specimen, really. I mean, he could have played college football, I think at Texas A&M. I think he was a receiver, but, you know, he wanted to play baseball. And He's an improving guy. He hits the ball very hard. He really does. Uh, He's had some very impressive batting practice sessions uh, where he has really displayed a lot of power. Uh, in fact, he's bombed the manager's car over in Clearwater <laughs> one day, which was kind of it's a nice, kind of hysterical. It's a nice hello yeah. to the manager right there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Kapler said, you know, he could destroy all the rental cars he wants if he hits home runs like that. Well, Kapler's uh, but he did saying hit the ball is, hard is... today. I, I I actually thought he had a home run today. It looked like it might have got caught up in the wind a little bit. Um, he's he's swinging it really well. Uh, hits the ball like I said really hard uh and he's one of the guys that they really need to uh, be kind of for real if you will um one of the guys that they would kind of like to kind of build around him hoskins crawford alfaro uh there'll be more coming there's guys like nolan eikhoff on the mound 
Uh, they need these guys to be for real if they're going to make that next step. What, so if Nick Williams is real, what what would be his potential? Is he a 30-homer guy? Um, I think he's a 25-homer guy, and you never know. I mean, as he gets even stronger and he, he – um, you know, the big thing about him is he needs to put the ball in play a lot. He's so strong, and he, he has some nice natural loft in his swing that he could be a 25 to 30 home run guy. You know, it's hard to say what a guy's going to going to be three and four years down the road. He's still very young. But, you know, that said, um, you know, he, he can't strike out 190 times a year. Those are opportunities to to uh, do damage to the baseball, opportunities to have extra base hits or home runs. So he still needs to improve that selectivity. He still needs to, you know, show that he can get on base more and still need to cut down on the strikeouts, which will, you know, uh, initiate more contact, which is going to give him a chance to put the ball in the seats more. How do you see the outfield shaping up? you got Hoskins, Herrera, Williams, Altair. Um, what's it going to look like, and then what does that mean for Quinn and Cousins? Where are they going to fit? That's a good question. Um, you know, the way I see the outfield right now is you basically have four regulars. Uh, and again, things could change. They're still formulating their roster, but, you know, kind of crystal balling it a little bit on the first day of the Grapefruit League season. Um, Hoskins is your left fielder. Odubel Herrera is your center fielder. And Williams and uh, Aaron Altier profile as the right fielders. Uh, You could have a natural platoon there. Aaron Altier is also a top defender who can play any one of the positions. Um, they have said that they still want to get Hoskins occasional reps at first base when they get Santana a day off. I don't know how many that'll be. Uh, they'll be interleague. There'll be, um, there'll be, um, days off and, um, that's up to Gabe Kapler to kind of mix and match four guys for three spots. He's talked a lot about that. They intend to get guys off their feet, get them rest to try to maximize their performance. And he says there's going to be plenty of at-bats for all four of those guys. Um, you know, we're going to see. So, um, I still think as they pursue pitching, somebody could be subtracted in a trade. I don't think it would be Hoskins. I don't think it would be Herrera. But somebody could be subtracted in a trade. You know, things are always changing. As for Quinn, uh, he's going to be considered for a spot as a utility man. Uh, they might just go with a four-man bench. He could actually come in the infield and pick up a ground ball for a couple innings on an emergency basis, which would help him. Oh. Uh, he can really run. He can probably give you a good pitch hit uh, from both sides of the plate. He could be an attractive extra. And this, Dylan Cousins probably needs to go back to AAA, and and, and uh, he hit 220 last year. He needs to just improve. He needs to make a lot more contact because his power is among, you know, the best in the game. I mean, it's just it's off the charts how strong this kid is and how far he can hit the ball. But he just, again, needs to make more contact. He needs to kind of go down to AAA and um, rebound from, from a disappointing season last year. So so with regard to uh, the outfielders, there was also a guy the last couple of days that has played, Jalen Ortiz. He's young. He's raw. I saw him at Lakewood last year. What, what are they talking about with him down there? Well, Jalen Ortiz will be in minor league camp. The, the, I think you're thinking of Danny Ortiz, who is uh, – who's, um, he was signed as a six-year free agent. 
think he was the Pirates last year. Yeah, no, no uh, he's in camp. I'm I'm actually I don't think Jalen Ortiz is ready to make the major league roster, but from from everything I heard and everything I heard last year was that people yeah. were raving about him. Is is he well, yeah. somebody that, that they're talking about? Is, yeah, of course they're talking. Not to make the team. Um, I think he's only about 18 years old um, or 19 years old now. I mean, he's a kid they gave a lot of money to out of uh, Dominican Republic a few years ago. Um, out of Latin America, and um, he played at Williamsport last year. He's a big, 235 pound outfielder that has surprisingly good athleticism for a guy his size. Um, really a good idea uh, how to hit, but he's a long way away. But that said, if it clicks for this kid, he could be a star. I mean, you know, I, I've talked to many people who've seen him. I've only seen him in. Uh, minor league spring training camp, but everybody thinks he could be a real beast with the bat. But, but again, he needs to, you know, he's, he's, he's several years away. I mean, he's, he only played in the short season, New York Penn league, I think last year, probably a candidate for Lakewood, I guess this year. That'll excite um, Jeff. Cause he and his son like minor league baseball so they can go yeah, up and down on the farm. You'll like, you'll, you'll like seeing him. He's a big kid. He moves pretty well in the outfield for a big guy. Um, but he, gosh, he he just uh, he could be a beast. Uh, he he has got huge power, but he's also got got some 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 hitting ability too. Where uh, um, he could you know, I guess you could say hit for some average down the down the line. But there's an awful lot of development that still needs to go into Jalen Ortiz. But man, the package of tools is impressive. You know, I I, I, don't, I was going to skip this, but but I'm wincing. You mentioned Roman Quinn. <laughs> you should have seen Jeff's face. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Roman Quinn b- being versatile. Um, years ago, when they drafted Roman Quinn, they decided this was before they drafted Crawford. They decided to move him from outfield to shortstop, and and yeah. he was at Lakewood. I was there one day when he had three throwing errors from shortstop, including throwing to us. In the stands, right. <laughs> it has 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 his skill at shortstop gotten any better? Because they kind of gave up on it a couple years ago. No, well they didn't. I, I they did, never gave up on. Him. Um, he was a you know he was a kid who they drafted in the second round. Um, he was headed to Florida State. He ended up signing with the Phillies. And uh, you know, as a youth player, high school, he played shortstop as many many many. Jim Tomey was a high school shortstop. If that kind of puts it in perspective, <laughs> Shane Victorino was a high school shortstop. You're always going to put your best player at shortstop. So he played a lot of shortstop as a kid. He also played a lot of outfield as a kid. Um, the Phillies, when they drafted him, did not have J.P. Crawford. Uh, they were looking for to kind of groom somebody long-term with Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy Rollins getting a little bit older. So he played him at shortstop his first couple seasons. Uh, and much like a lot of kids, he had a lot of trouble defensively. Um but they kept him there. They made him turn him into a switch hitter. Loved his speed. He couldn't stay healthy. Lost a lot of development time with a lot of injuries. Made a lot of errors, which is not unusual um, for kids, you know, learning to play professional ball. Um, and then when they drafted Crawford, he had a couple good years, and they were convinced he was their shortstop of the future. They decided to cash in on Roman Quinn's athleticism and put him in center field, which was a position that was not – at all foreign to him. He had played out there as an amateur, as a youth player. Um, and um, 
he continues to get hurt. So he's he's an outfielder now. I'm just saying with a four-man bench, with an eight-man bullpen and a four-man bench, versatility becomes huge. So if, you know, Crawford takes him off the kneecap one night. He could um, be there. He could go out there for two innings and at least make a play. Well, and having speed on the bench um, until, isn't, until they isn't get a bad some, thing. Until, until, they, until they get somebody up the next morning from AAA. So I think that's kind of how that works. And having some speed on the bench isn't a bad thing. You mentioned the potential that, um, that a player might move for pitching. We also continue to see reports of potential conversations with Jake Arrieta. What do you think will happen with the Phillies pitching? <laughs> I don't know. I wish I could tell you. I mean, I... I, I really do wish I could tell you because um, I'm trying to figure it out myself. You're trying to there's write a, a column desire, about it. <laughs> there's a real desire to add a pitcher. There's no question. There's been a, a real desire for quite some time. Uh, but they're just very leery of a guy like Arietta. Uh, you know, he's 32. He's had a drop in velocity. They just don't want to give him a long-term contract that he's seeking. Uh, and I'm not sure they think the, the other guys out there, Lance Lynn and that crew, uh, Alex Cobb, are worth a long-term deal. Um, so they're kind of digging in a little bit. What I can tell you about Arietta is they would love to have him. If he would do a three-year deal, maybe they'd even be open to a creative structure that would turn it into a four-year deal. I don't know. Then it's there for him. Come and get it. Um, but he's, you know, all indications are still looking for that long-term deal. But one of these days, if he wants to play baseball – He's going to have to go somewhere, and like I said, the Phillies would love to have him on, a, on a, like a three-year deal. So we'll see what happens. I think if they ever got him, you know, I think they've made. I thought they made great strides last year in the second half. I think they've, um, at least on paper, improved their offense by adding Santana and by adding J.P. Crawford's ability to get on base and having a full season of Reese Hoskins. What, what so you- now you you improve if you improve your starting staff. I think you can start. Maybe nibbling around at that second wild card if you got a guy like him. What What have you seen so far out of Santana as far as uh, the leadership role? We've been reading a lot about um, him kind of taking Mikel Franco under his wing. Um, you know he's only been here about a week, but he says he wants to help Mikel, uh, and he has backed that up. I mean, he spent a good bit of time with Mikel at the uh, Dominican Academy this winter working out and he requested a locker right next to Franco um, and says, you know, they're going to be together in the batting cage. He's going to be in his head trying to help him become a more selective hitter and try to clean up some of the flaws that are kind of standing in the way of him reaching his potential. So, um, you know, he says he wants to do it and we're seeing little signs of it. Um, And I believe he's going to be there for the kid, but ultimately it's up to Franco to, to uh, you know, change kind of change his ways to play and try to realize some of that. From what I've seen, it, it looks like Franco's come into camp in in better condition than he has in past years. Uh, that'll obviously be helpful if that's the case. Is you think that's a product of the off season, and is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I think it's a product of growing up a little bit and realizing that he he's he's got a lot of skill and he needs to be able he needs to be better. Uh, but he has trimmed down a little bit. Uh, a little thinner in the middle, a little stronger up top, and um, we'll see what it translates into. He's come, but he, he was here here early, in camp early, and uh, seems very committed to uh, to having a good year. He needs to have a good year because we all know Manny Machado is brewing out there as a free agent, 
Um, I think a, a good year by Michael Franco gives the Phillies a couple options. One is trading him, build some value and trade him. The other, if, if he has a really good year and they say, yeah, it's clicking for him, maybe he becomes the guy of the future. Uh, but to me, he's one of the most fascinating guys on the roster because of all the different directions you could go with him. I mean, if he if he's not doing anything in July, I could see him conceivably being replaced at third base by maybe a Scott Kingery. That if would... Kingery's, you know, all of a sudden knocking on the door and you need to get him in the lineup and Franco's not doing something, I think it becomes a temporary landing spot for for um, Kingery if Cesar Hernandez is still here. I still think Kingery's a long-term second baseman, but uh, if you need more, if you're looking to get more offense and Franco's not doing enough and Kingery's, you know, driving it all over the place in AAA, that could be a spot. So basically Mike Michael Franco could make all this talk moot by going out and just having the year that people think he could have. Uh, before we let you go, it seemed like the players were pretty inspired by Gabe Kapler leading into camp, his, his speech. What's your feel of how his camp has started? We see the beat bold everywhere. Uh, he brought umpires in to oversee the pitchers and catchers battery. What are your thoughts on what you've seen so far? Well, he's an impressive guy. He's really smart. He's very energetic. He's very committed. Um, he never stops moving, never stops giving feedback. He's loaded with positive energy. Um, he does have some interesting ideas and insights that he's brought into, um, into the camp and um, seems to be an excellent communicator. And, and you know, so far, the guys do seem to uh, seem to like him and, and seem to be responding to his energy. But, you know, again, we're only at the first day of Grapefruit League play. The ultimate test, you know, will come over 162 games and how he bonds and how they buy into his ways. Um, but right now, I, I see only, only positives, you know. Um, you know, every manager has a different style. Charlie Manuel had a, had a different style. He was, you know, kind of a send him out there, keep him upbeat, keep him positive, and let him play. And Charlie Manuel will be the first to tell you he had great players, and that made him a great manager. So if, if the organization continues to bring in some good players and and uh, they play well for Gabe Kapler, then he's going to end up being a great manager. It always comes down to the players. Well, we look forward to continued conversations. We hope you enjoy yourself down there at spring training and, and look forward to watching your updates on what's going on. Thanks so much for hopping on and joining us for a few minutes. You got it. Thanks so much. Guys. You have a great one. Jeff, did you watch the game today? No, I had work. What are your priorities? Uh, I, I will tell you, though, uh, the MLB app is oh, for years has been great. So I'll have my iPad on, and I can just look over, and it's, it's real time. It's, so you're working hard. I'm sure your clients appreciate that. I'm not that. watching the video <laughs> of it. I'm just watching the little pitch thing, the little line. I'm going to leave that right there. We'll go, <laughs> we'll go to break. We'll talk more baseball when we get back. But we'll move on. Talk a little Sixers, who had some excitement last night in Chicago. Close one. Came out of the All-Star break looking good. We'll be back. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey. Those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at one 337 
1-800-242-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Just because you can't see lead paint doesn't mean it's not on your walls, doors, windows, or sills. Today, lead paint poisoning affects over 1 million children. What's more, just three granules of lead dust from old paint can poison your child. If your house was built before 1978 and you have kids six years old or younger or are pregnant, it's very important to know what to do. There are simple steps you can take to make your kids lead-free kids. Log on to leadfreekids.org or call 800-424-LEAD for more information. A message from the Coalition to End Childhood Lead Poisoning, the EPA, HUD, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. All right, Jeff, I know you may not have watched the Phillies game today, but I know you caught highlights of the Sixers game because you were down at the Flyers game. No, correct? well, the, you can all you have to do is go downstairs and you can watch the rest of the basketball game. So in in between periods and then the the fourth quarter, got to watch it. So you watched the game last night, yes. and you were down to practice the other day, right? Practice, yeah. We're talking about practice. Uh-huh. Well, why don't you introduce our next guest who you were hanging out with at practice yesterday? So I got to spend some time with Keith down over at the practice facility in Camden. How you doing, Keith? Keith Pompey. Thank hey, you I'm for, doing well, man. Thank you so much. How are you much guys for, doing? Well, we're good. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk a little Sixers coming out of the All-Star break. It's a, it's a fun time right here. Yeah, it is. It is. It really is. So, so Keith, uh, when we were down at practice the other day, uh, this, this was before, right after the All-Star break, for the first game, Brett, we had a chance to ask Brett Brown uh, some questions. And I'll tell you, man, at least my impression was they are locked in for the second half of the season. So what we wanted to do is first play a clip of Brett Brown answering a question on whether or not he was going to start resting people and then get your opinion. In, okay. in, in my old life, when you felt like you were going to you know, be in the finals and win a championship, you definitely started managing stuff differently in this final third. That's not where we're at now. We, we are fighting to get in the playoffs. And, you know, we're in a fist fight. We want a little bit more than that. And so we're going to go play with that in mind. And when the opportunity arises where I can rest some of our guys, I will. But it's not about being conservative right now or feeling like we're entitled. And, you know, we're in the play. We aren't. And so we're still fighting to do that. And I'll, I'll coach it accordingly. So, Keith, it sounds like Brett is all in. We're not talking minutes restrictions at this point. We're, we're not talking rest in games. It, it seems like the Sixers are looking to, to try and make a run to, to get a playoff seed. What are you hearing from the, the team in camp? I mean, the same exact thing. I mean, not only do they want to make a run to get a playoff seed, a top eight seed, they want to get home field advantage, home court advantage in the first round of playoffs. And in order to do that, they have to get a top four seed. So that's the focus. And, you know, they, they look at their schedule. You know, the, the Sixers have been a team that kind of struggled against teams they should beat. Like last but right night? Now that they're, <laughs> yeah, like last night. You know, exactly. That's another prime example. Um, but so, you know, right now they feel as if that, okay, we have a healthy Embiid. We have an improved Ben Simmons. You know, we have a healthy J.J. Redick. And now we have, you know, uh, Marco Bellinelli. So it's one of those things where they feel as if that they have the core and they have the, you know, the team that can, you know, go, you know, can secure a first round playoff berth and possibly, excuse me, a, a first round uh, home 
court uh, berth and then possibly go to the second round. So you're right. They are locked in and loaded. And they also realize that, you know what, we can't afford to rest anyone. Like if we don't play Joel Embiid, you know, our team could possibly struggle. If we don't have J.J. Redick on the floor, our team could possibly struggle. So, you know, the circumstances are completely different than what he had in, in San Antonio, but, you know, it's refreshing to hear it coming from Brett that, you know, these guys are hungry. Well, and it's fun to watch how, how well this team has played at times. They were obviously hot going into the break. They've, they've now won six straight at home. You talk about trying to get home court. They've won six straight since the first since the 2011-2012 season. And you look at their schedule in the second half. Their schedule, in theory, was front-loaded with a lot of tough games. Some of their mm-hmm. opponents on, on the back end here aren't going to be quite as competitive um, you know, you've you got teams like the Mavericks now out there, which we'll ask in a sec, they're talking about tanking. Um, what do you think? It, it looks like they really do have an opportunity to make a run for a higher seed than people would have thought going in. Going into the season, it's like, oh, you know, get a seven or eight seed is progress. At this point, it seems like a seven or eight seed might be disappointing for this team, given what the Eastern Conference looks like. Yeah, I would agree, especially when you come out and say that's what we want. <laughs> you know, I mean, we want a top four seed. Um, now, the only thing that I will say about the 76ers schedule, yes, they do play a lot of quote-unquote inferior squads. But the Sixers had, like, you know, going into the R-Star break, they probably played fewer games than the majority of teams in the NBA. So right now they're going to have, you know, a lot of games where you have four games and, and maybe, you know, seven nights or if not, like, you know, tighter than that. So the fatigue thing is, is going to come into play. You know, I know Embiid has been cleared for back-to-backs, and that's great. But we're going to see how does his body respond to playing four games in seven nights, six to seven nights. So I think that's key. And when typically you, you notice when teams are on these road trips and it's the last game of that trip and they really want to come home, Sometimes they lay an egg, and they're they're gonna. It's probably gonna be to a team where we're saying, "How did you lose to that squad? <laughs> that squad's tanking." Which you would have happened I mean? last so, night if they would have not come back and beat the Bulls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, dude, it looked like that. Some guys, like you know, some guys still had tans. You know, it, it looked like you know what I mean. It was well, like, Sa- Sarge had hey, a good tan going on. Oh yeah, he had a, I didn't want to come out and say his name. I, I will. He, <laughs> he looked like he sat out in the sun the whole All Star break. But it, it yeah, looked he, like he at the start of the game. I mean, I turned on the TV. The Sixers are up like eighteen. I missed the beginning. You know, some of the Bulls players are like, "Oh, we got a game tonight," and then all of a sudden, it's close, and the Bulls are up at the end. And you know, you see, it was a, it was a short bench last night, and so the game was dominated by Embiid and Simmons. It's sort yeah. of, it's not you know you you talk about the other weapons you know Bellinellian and um you know Redick out there but you didn't have some of those weapons with the you know back to back games or the four games in five nights how do you think the depth of this team is going to impact that because that seems to be one of their liabilities is the lack of depth when you know when MB comes off the court and I got to watch Amir Johnson come on there's a marked difference in what's going on in the game. <laughs> It is a market difference, but the thing about Amir, and Amir is an easy target, an easy target. But, you know, the reason why he plays is because even down at MB to a certain extent, 
None of them do. None of them pick. They all just roll to the basket. Yes. Like Embiid will act like he's trying to do it, but then he wants to hurry up and run to the rim. And what Amir does is Amir does like the dirty things that helps Ben and helps TJ, you know, free up and, and, and get their space. Also, he helped Marco out the first game. So I think while, you know, Rashawn Holmes is the more exciting player, I think that Brett Brown is looking like we need someone to do the dirty work, uh, especially on the second unit, when I need someone who could come in and just be a scorer. Now you made and me feel bad. He, I'm, I'm going to have to be nice to Amir Johnson now. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. I mean, but that's a lot yeah, of he's, things. He's that, not going to start being nice. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I know, exactly. But, but, you, but, but you brought up huh? my, my big concern is, is Rashawn Holmes. I mean, th- there are nights yeah. where he seems electric, and if we're if the Sixers are going to be playing three games in seven days, why don't they use him more? Is there something we don't know about Rashawn as far as his health, or what is it that that he, that Brett Brown seems to have him disappear for three or four games at a time? Unfortunately, it's a numbers game, and when you look at it, is is also a financial game. Now, you see, I mean, I don't. So, you know, the Sixers are, are – no one's going to come out and say this. But you look at Rashawn Holmes. He's a, a second-round pick. He's not making a lot of money, right? But then you bring in Amir uh, Johnson, who's making $11 million, right? You And then you trade for Trevor Booker, right? So then it becomes a, number, a numbers game. And as good as Rashawn is, sometimes it doesn't look good <laughs> for you to play him and the other two guys – aren't getting any run, you know. And, and then it's also with Brett's concern is sometimes as good as, a, uh, as good as Rashawn Holmes is, there are certain type of bruiser-type players who ha- have in the past been able to neutralize them. You know what I mean? So I think that's what Brown's looking for. He wants two utility guys who – the general manager either acquired in free agency and gave a lot of money to or used him, uh, excuse me, or traded for to get. Now, if it was so much of a huge leap or huge difference and in, in what he does compared to the other two as far as the team, I believe that he would play. But the fact is, since he is, some may argue, better than them in what he does, you know, they feel as if that we're going to go with the other guy since it's not that, that much of a leap. Now, the, the thing is, personally, I think that he should get more money, minutes, but I think that he should get more minutes at the four. But that's what Trevor Booker plays. You, you know what I mean? Um, I don't look at Rashawn as a center. I don't really look at Amir as a center, but on this team he has to play it. And I think that's part of the problem because, you know, he, you guys are making me help your argument a little bit because he has more skills than the other two all around. But I just think that with the free agency and the money that they're making and the, and the trades, the money that these guys are making, you know, I think that, you know, Rashawn is the odd man out. Yeah, that's where our fandom meets the economic realities of the league. 
Simmons uh, was was pretty aggressive last night, putting up 32 points. Uh, he looked more comfortable with the jump shots he was taking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen him take a little more in the game. Uh, he had his the 13-point assist double-double. It was his 13th double-double of the season. Only Russell Westbrook, James Harden, LeBron James, and John Wall have more. Um, he seemed to feel slighted a little bit by not being selected to the All-Star game. Are we going to see an angrier, more aggressive Ben Simmons in the second half here? I think so. I think what we, I wouldn't use the word angry. I, I would say a more aggressive Ben Simmons. And the reason because the reason being, there's been times. Let's let, let's be real. That Ben Simmons will come out, and then next thing you know, he would disappear, and then you know he may make a play late or or something like that. I think he was just too um, like happy to be there after he got started. You know what I mean? It was like let me let me you know get these assists. Now he's on a mission to prove to people that, hey, I am one of the elite point guards in this league. And, you know, he kept going after Chris Dunn. He kept going after whoever else they put on him. And, you know, Chris Dunn is a guy who, in years down the road, who's going to be compared to Simmons as, like, one of the top point guards. So I think that it it opened his eyes up because he actually believes that he should have been an all-star. And in his mind, he is an all-star. So he's going to try to take it out on every point guard he goes up against until the end of the season. Well, good. Then I'm glad yeah, he good. didn't make the all-star team. <laughs> Whatever motivates you. <laughs> I, and I, look, I like Chris Dunn at Providence. I, you know, I, I definitely – he's somebody who Simmons is going to be compared against as that, that type of point-forward, point-player going forward. Um, your thoughts on Embiid's all-star experience? He seemed to open a lot of national eyes with his play. I know Jeff was surprised that he participated in all three nights of activities. Uh, what were your thoughts of Joel Embiid at the all-star game? Um, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was refreshing, I mean, to see him to be able to do the things that we know that he he can do, you know, here. Um, the thing is, in regards to seeing him do everything, I didn't have a problem with it because, first of all, he only played like eight minutes in the uh, in the first game. And then the other one was just like a skills challenge. And if you notice, they did give him a lot of breaks <laughs> in, the, uh, in the All-Star <laughs> game. Good. But at the same time, you know, he, to me, he looked like he belonged on the floor. There were times where I felt like um, James Harden could have passed him the ball, but he was jacking up stuff, you know what I mean, and where MB could have had a, a bigger imprint on the game. But I walked away from that game watching him saying, like, yes, this guy is legitimately the best center in the league. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of guys know that, you know, like LeBron James and them know that, hey, this is one of the top five or seven guys in the league right now. Yeah, he just looks like he belongs. Yep. Yeah. So, so you know, now we have to ask the question that gets asked of everybody who knows anything about the Sixers, and you're probably going to say, "I don't know," because nobody seems to know. So, with with that premise, um, <laughs> I'm going to ask, "What is going on with Mark Markel Fultz?" You know, I, I believe is mental. You know, because everything else just doesn't add up. You know, I mean, initially. You know, they were saying that, you know, he had, sh- like, his shoulder or, or somebody. Initially, they said they felt like somebody messed with his shot, right? And then it came down to, oh, well, he had shoulder pain. 
and he has this. Well, he's been working out for the longest time with with shooting coaches. Um, he's also, you know, went to Kentucky to see a specialist with his shoulder. They came back, I believe it was December the 9th, and said that everything is fine, right? Right. I honestly believe that, you know, he, he has is a mental thing. He has a mental block right now that's preventing him from shooting the ball. He has the yips, and they're trying to – they're saying they're trying to uh, reteach him how to shoot. Um, you know, now here's the thing. You were there. They made the other two guys available who've been out for a long period of time with yep. injuries. Mm-hmm. They did not make Markel available. Now, if it was because of he had a shoulder injury, as they're trying to tell us, he, it's because they would have easily made him available. But it's something going on mentally that either they don't want us to know or he doesn't want us to know. You know, and, and that's the problem. He has the yips and is a mental block. I do not believe anything that people say about the trainer messed up his shot because I felt like the shot could have been corrected by now. I do not believe anything about the shoulder preventing him. Now, I'm not saying that he did not have a shoulder injury, but if you're going to tell me three months ago that the shoulder is healed, he should be on the court. Look, I, I agree with you. And, and look, in, in my 15-minute observation playing armchair psychologist, he looked miser- <laughs> He looked miserable. I mean, yeah. in, in watching the other guys, they're joking around. They're, they're, they're taking it seriously at times. But they, they look like, you know, people who want to be out there. He looked on that back court like he just didn't want to be there. And I, and I don't know if that was just me, but is it, do you get that impression? And if so, is it is it time to say to him, Markel, go away for a month, get away from the game, and, and come back with a clear head, and, and, and then we'll deal with it? You know, I, I, the thing with Markel is kind of like day-to-day. Like there are certain days where Markel is jovial, there are other days I think he gets frustrated because things aren't coming, you know, the way that he would want them. You know, the thing about Markel, folks, is, you know, when we were allowed to speak to him, <laughs> he was probably <laughs> one of the nicest guys I've ever been around, you know, ever. Like, not just as an athlete. I'm talking about ever, ever. He's a great kid. Now, the 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 problem is when, you know, when you're going through this, you're going to have, good days and bad days. Now, I think what the Sixers felt, like when we were talking, when we were hearing that, you know, Markel was going to Kentucky for this and that, I think in their minds, that's when they were like, okay, Markel, get away, clear your head, come back, everything is going to be right. But I think that what the Sixers should have done from the beginning, now, I guess no one envisioned that he would still be sidelined, but I think that what happens in NBA a lot or pro sports, someone gets like a phantom injury, and then they shut them down through the year. I mean, for the year, and you don't see them anymore. I feel like in hindsight, the Sixers are probably wishing that they would have done that. You know what I mean? I think that they'd have been better would've... off if they just shut him down because this, you know, he's going to exactly. play. He's healthy. He's not healthy. He's not happy. Um, it just it, it leads more questions to the fans and, and lets them question the medical staff. One more thing before we let you go, totally separate mm-hmm. from the Sixers, uh, Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks in the news. Uh, first telling players to tank, 
seems like, getting fined a significant amount of money, and now they have their own internal problems in terms of their staffing. What's the talk around the league that you're hearing about what's going on with the Mavs? You know, <coughs> I'm, I'm going to talk about the internal problem first. It's shock. Like the guy, Earl Snead, um, I hung out with him the night, what was it? I want to say the night before the All-Star game, I hung out with him. And I've known Earl. You know, now, again, I I never – it wasn't like one of those things where, yo, Earl, you know, let's go hang out and let's, you know, meet some women or something like that. It was never one of those type things. But it was kind of like when I read that article, or actually when I got a, a text from a, another colleague asking about it, you know, you had to help and read it. And I was shocked. I did not know that things like that were going on in Dallas. You know, it, it was shocking. And then, you know, there's a guy, Justin Anderson, who plays for the Sixers, who a year ago was traded from Dallas. And I brought up the subject to him yesterday, and he was like, man, he didn't know anything about it. And, you know, it was an off-the-record conversation, so he really didn't have any reason to lie to me about it. You know, Justin's a straight-up guy. Dirk seemed to say that he didn't know anything about it either. The players seemed pretty surprised by what went on. Yeah, they seemed pretty surprised. Now, the thing is, though, you know, there were certain things like now Justin was in his second year there. Um, the only thing that, that alarms me is if a guy gets arrested at the practice facility like years ago, I'm pretty sure Cuban had to know about that. You know what I mean? Like you, you, they just don't roll up. I mean, that's just like somebody, you know, coming to your place of business or coming to you, the cops coming to your house and your kids are like, Oh, the please don't tell my daddy. Please don't tell my daddy. But <laughs> well, somebody's going to tell your daddy. You plus, know what plus, I mean? isn't, so, plus, isn't Cuban hands-on? I mean, more hands-on than a lot of owners? Extremely. He's always with the team. He's always with the team. You know what? It's funny. Um, pre-game, when, when Mark, Cuban, Mark Cuban, they're going to come here in a couple weeks, right? What Mark Cuban typically does is on the court, he has a pre-game press conference with the Dallas media, you know what I mean? So that's how hands-on he is. So, you know, again, sometimes it's good it's good to say you didn't know. Now, and far as Justin, you know, he was that was only his second year last year with that team. So I honestly believe that he might have been, you know, clueless. But the guys who were there prior season, you know, longer than that, I have to believe that they know. Now, in regards to tanking, it's funny because I remember when everyone was saying trust the process a couple years ago, you know, he was like, oh, I'm not tanking, I'm not tanking, I'm not tanking. And now he's saying he wants to tank. I'm not mad at him for saying that, but, you know, it's just funny how things change. But then you look at the 76ers now. You look at all the national television exposure they're getting. You look at Joel Embiid becoming an all-star. You look at Ben Simmons, who will most likely become an all-star next year, right? And you have guys like J.J. Reddick wanting to come here. You can it's see all- why he wants to tank. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He would be a fool not to tank. You know what I'm saying? He would be a fool. So, you know, I mean, I'm, and look, uh, Chicago tanked last night. Like, they, they, they basically rested two starters against the 76ers. Welcome to the NBA. So, Yep, 
Yeah. Well, Keith, no we really appreciate you hopping on and joining us. Um, we'd love to have you back on, talk more about the Sixers as we go forward, if we can. Oh, definitely. I love, I really enjoy being on here for these, you know, for this half an hour. So uh, I really appreciate having me on, fellas. Thanks so much, Keith. We'll reach out to you and we'll make sure to get you on again. You enjoy the games, okay? All right, man. Bye Thank bye. you. Hey, hey, Jeff, we're going to skip a break real fast. We're going to go right to Adam Kimmelman from NHL.com. Adam, we're sorry to hold you up if you're about to get on a plane. How's it? Uh, well, I'm jumping on a train to, uh, to head home, but I've got time for you guys. Uh, well, we appreciate you hopping on. Flyers are playing some good hockey. Why don't you tell us about what we're seeing down there? Jeff was down at the game last night, enjoyed it all. Uh, what's the talk of the Flyers right now? Well, I think well, right now it's, it's how do they survive these couple of injuries that they've got. You know, Travis Connecting day to day. But, and Wayne Simmons is going to be out about two or three more weeks. You know, there's two big losses from there, what they're trying to do offensively. You know, the goaltending is an entirely different situation. Those guys are going to be out long-term here, at least until the end of March for, for Elliott and probably longer for Nybert. But they seem to have uh, stabilized that with Peter Morazic. He played real well last night in, the, in their win. Um, if they can get that kind of goaltending on a consistent basis, they have enough offensive pieces that I think they're going to be okay here moving forward. And, and the way they're playing, you know, Jake Voracek's adamant about it. We're not looking behind us. We're not looking just get in the playoffs. We're looking at first place in the division. They're one point out right now, and you know that's not a that's not an unclimbable gap. They they are one of the hottest teams in the NHL, and we're approaching the trade deadline. Are we going to see them make any moves? Doesn't seem like Hextall wants to part with any of his draft picks or any of his assets. Uh, are they going to stand pat and just bring players up from the minors? Well, they made a move. I, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, they got well, Mrazek, well, but. Well, I think Morazic is more a necessity after Elliott and then Nybert went down. But I think if you see them add, my guess is that they're going for a depth defenseman or a bottom six forward who's going to help them on the penalty kill. That's really the lone area of weakness right now. And, and they sort of have gotten by here the last little bit because they didn't allow, they weren't shorthanded for three games prior to last night. So, you know, when you have a weak penalty kill, the best way to have it not hurt you is to not have to use it. So, it's, been, it's definitely been an issue for them. Um, it's something an area they do need to be better at, and it's something that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they addressed it. You know, Brandon Manning and Radko Gudis are a decent enough third pair, but you can definitely do better there. It's just a matter of what will the cost be to get a player that they need that can help them. You know, Johnny Oduya in Ottawa is a guy who I certainly think could help them killing penalties. He's a veteran, experienced guy. You know, Ottawa's not going to give him away, but he's certainly a guy that, you know, if they're willing to part with an asset that, that Ottawa finds favorable, probably a mid-round draft pick, then I think that would be an area they'd look to upgrade in. I don't see them going after the, the big fish, the big name guys, you know, whether it's Rick Nash from the Rangers or Mike Hoffman from the Ottawa Senators. I don't really see them doing that. Seems like the Rangers are dumping players. I saw they made a trade with the Devils today. Um, are they they just in sell mode right now? Well, they they sent a letter out to their season ticket holders about ten days to two weeks ago, saying that pretty much without saying we're giving up on the season, letting their fans know this is the path we're going. We're going to try to get younger. We're going to try to get faster. We're we're going to identify our core guys and anybody who's not a part of that core long term we're going to look to move and that list could include obviously you know michael grabner and rick nash who are free agents after the season grabner got moved last night rick nash isn't going to play tonight obviously they're they must be close to 
has something in place to move him out. You know, it could include Ryan McDonough, who, you know, is, an, is a solid player but an aging player and, you know, maybe won't be a part of their future in, in two years from now when whatever prospects and picks they, they're gathering are ready to be full-time players. You know, you kind of started to see that a little bit last year when they traded Derek Stepan to Arizona and got the seventh pick in the draft. And you know, they drafted Leah Anderson, the Swedish player, and Philip Beadle, the Czech center. You know, and they're starting to lose that way. So I think they, they've already put this plan in place a little bit preemptively, and now you're just going to see it really kind of escorted here as we get to the trade headline and, and obviously as we move forward to the draft in June. Well, we know that you have to continue your travels and hop on a train. So uh, we will keep in touch with you as the Flyers head down the stretch, and we'd love to have you back talk about what we're seeing. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Thanks so much for hopping on with us for a minute. My pleasure. Have a great one. Jeff, you were at the game last night. I was. I kept waiting for it to hear all aboard. <laughs> you you going to hop on the train with him? Depends on where he's going. Look, that's a pretty... If he's going to where the Flyers are going next, sure, then I'm going. That's a pretty comprehensive 45 minutes on the Phillies, Flyers, and Sixers. I would say so. Um, how did you feel watching the game last night? There's Which an one? excitement. The Flyers, you were in the building. There's an excitement around the teams right now. There is. Um, by the way, there seemed to be an L.A. thing going on because everybody arrived late. But but once everybody got there, it was loud. People were into the game. Um, the new goalie made a great first impression. He had a couple goal, uh, goals that Beginning he Beginning of the second period, he had a save that was the just The puck like, was behind him, yeah. and somehow he was able to sweep it out of there. And he had a couple of those. So he made it. There weren't a lot of shots, but the, the Flyers more than in recent memory, are taking good shots. It's not just dumping the puck and hoping there's a well, rebound. And Haxtell actually commented on that after the game. He wasn't happy. Towards the end of the game, the fans were yelling, shoot at the open net. Yes, and they, and they missed were passing several times. back and forth. And it bothered me because I know you're going to hate me saying this, yeah. but I have Katoria in my fantasy team, and I really needed oh, him to score a goal there. Yeah, there you go. Well, <laughs> see, and, and, and as we're sitting there, we're going, it seemed that they were tr- they were passing up open shots on an empty net to get it to Filippola. Well, was, there, was there a reason that I don't that know? I don't know? Haxtell said last night uh, they, was there, they did not really seem as aggressive in terms of shooting, and he wants them to get back to putting the net. The the puck on goal. Oh, see, see, uh, see. I look. He's the general manager. He knows a lot more than no, I do. No, he's the coach. But, Hextall's the general oh, manager. I thought you said Hextall. Sorry to confuse you. Oh, okay. So, so, so. I don't enunciate. Yes, there you go. <laughs> so, so here, what what I saw is the shots that were taken were good shots. Instead of, I hate going to a game where there's 35, 40 shots and it's just guys dumping it in front of the net, hoping that something happens. These were crisp passes and good shots. I mean. Even the shots that didn't go in were were good, good shots. And I think that separates this team from prior teams, plus the amount of speed. If, if you look out there now, yeah, you still have Gudis and McDonald and a couple guys like that. This is a young team. They're fast. Yeah. And, and they're, they're, this is and not. Konechny was out. He's fast. The Broad Street Bullies are gone. No, they're no uh, longer. This, the, is, this, is, they, this is not your father's Flyers hockey. Yeah. And, and as much as we all, you know, relish those days, it, it's, that's not it the was league time. right now. Exactly. Though. And and these, these are good players and they're fun to watch. So I'm going to give you a choice, Jeff. We've got yeah. seven minutes left. You're going to spin a wheel? I'm going to let yeah. you go back to talk about the Dallas Mavs situation, <sighs> or I'm going to let you talk about the college basketball situation you pick. 
let's go back and talk about the Dallas Mavericks okay. situation. Because so he, here's here's my gripe with it. You and I talked about this before. Is when when the Sixers were tanking, as much as I didn't like that idea, the one thing I never got the impression of was that the the Sixers players were tanking. That this was basically what they did is they the Sixers general manager and ownership gave their chef. Uh, old vegetables and said, make the best salad out of you can. And there's only so much you can do as a chef with that. What Mark Cuban has done based on what he said is, is disturbing because he apparently went to dinner with his players and said, the best thing for the organization is to tank. And if I'm a player on the Mavericks now, do I, do I now want to win the game or am I going to get in better favor with the owner by not playing well. I never thought that we'd be in Philadelphia criticizing another team for tanking. I got to be honest. No, uh, but 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 this I mean, look, is I the work players. in politics and this... there's hypocrisy all around, but I I just I find it ironic that we could complain about that. However, I think you're right. The process by which they went about the tank is what's different. They never put good players here to be coached. I think Brett Brown said it best. It's like gypsies. At the time, there were players in and out, 10-day mm-hmm. contracts. That's not what the Mavs were this season. No. They tried to win, and now you're telling your players that you were trying to win with not to win. Um, and by the way, Nerlens Noel, it looks like the Sixers made the right move getting rid of him. Well, Jaleel Okafor, too. Well, <laughs> that, well, yeah. By the way, but that's that, how but, you get Rashad Holmes back on the floor, because Trevor Booker's taking up his time. <laughs> <laughs> so here's your option. You could have Jaleel Okafor on the yeah. bench to complain about with Rashad Holmes in the all game. Right, well, all right. So now, now, now that we've complained about and been hypocritical about the tanking, we still have time to talk about the NCAA. So, so it looks like so, there's a ticking time bomb sitting underneath the NCAA. Right oh, I now. think it went off. I just think that I don't think people realize it yet. I think this is one of those things where the the sound wave might have be a little slower. You've than got the more light than wave, twenty teams. I mean, these documents keep supposedly. leaking. Supposedly, allegedly, more than twenty teams, big names, yeah. big name players. Some who are pros now. We didn't even get to ask Keith Markel Fultz is on that list. Of, yeah. Players who supposedly mm-hmm. got something. Now, if you look at what all these players got, he got much less. He got, I think, $10,000 on that ledger. Yeah. Um, but there are documents. But, but there I, are ledgers. So so here, look, as someone who has a, a legal background, I always take a step Wait, back. You're a lawyer? Yeah. Okay. I, I, you take a step back, and you don't want <laughs> accusations. <laughs> you, you just love that button. <laughs> accusations don't mean guilt, okay? And we should always keep that in mind. Now that we've gotten but, that out of the way. <laughs> yes, but but we have a situation here where the March Madness is a week away. And and we might have half of the teams in the NCAA tournament who if they won, it won't count someday, right? And and that include it, there's a weird one here that which is Michigan State, one of the players is Bridges. Yeah, there's Michigan State. There, there's right. a lot of players that that are involved with this, and a right. lot of teams. Yeah. Um, I asked you before the show, will they sit any of them? Like it's family stuff. So you got Bridges. Yeah. But then you were going to mention the other Bridges, who's well, not mentioned. Uh, well, he's not mentioned. Is my point. It's it, it. So I don't know whether to believe any of the information in there because it just seems bizarre that one brother would allegedly do something that the other brother wouldn't. So, so what I'm saying is don't immediately think that this, just because this ledger is now out there, means that they did anything. 
I'm just not sure what the answer is, is to the, the fact that we're about to have a tournament where this huge black cloud is hanging over and the NCAA and half of the teams that are in You're there. talking big-name schools right? that are named here. Yeah. Well, they're the ones that are – I mean, that that's where the these agents who go to, you know, prey on these kids, that's where they go. They're not going to, you know, Mount St. Mary's or, you know – Little Sisters of the Poor, and, and getting those players because they want the ones that they're going to be able to repay them in the pros. You talk about how you know a team may be in the tournament that won't eventually be able to actually be crowned the champion mm -hmm. at a later date. Or have it taken away. You went through that in 2013, right? I, I was at the Michigan-Louisville game. That supposedly didn't occur now, right? Yes. Well, I've, I've gotten lots of texts from, from friends of mine who say, Where's my, my national championship T-shirt now? What are you, UCF? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so my answer to that is no, but the, the answer is that the game legally didn't count. Does your credit so, card bill so say can, that that game uh, didn't Exactly, because I would like my money, because we paid a pretty penny for those tickets. I'd like my money back if the game never counted. I mean, th th that's my question with the NCAA. Like, how far do they and can they go with? I mean, the the cash cow that is the NCAA tournament could potentially be tainted by this. It, yeah, it's going to be tainted. They're, they're, it's going to raise a lot of questions, and it's going to raise questions that aren't going to be answered for a while unless does, people confess to these but things. But does it change anything? I mean, there have been there have been good players getting preferential treatment and benefits. You know where this since is Since I've going. been... This, Since before I was born. This this is going to now the question of whether players should be paid. That that that's, that's always where, this, where always it goes. Always exactly. So now now we're gonna have to li listen to certain someone who who's going to constantly who always harps on this when this issue comes up. Jay Billis. Um, yeah, he was and, uh, he was out real fast. Exactly, huh? and, and it's it's just so frustrating because it, you're taking into account maybe two to three percent of the players. Because the rest of them are playing to get an education. You're not going to the pros. You see how few people are – there's only two rounds in the NBA now. It used to be a lot more. And how many of those guys actually become NBA guys who make a lot of money? Maybe 10, 20 out of a draft? So where are the thousands and thousands of other guys going? They're they're in school to get an education. Well, the Ball family ball. is currently with the oh, sausage don't, don't, guy. <laughs> you know, we made it through a show without bringing him up, and the fact that he's demanding all three kids play with the Lakers someday. I can't wait for that day to come. I had to make sure to get your blood pressure up before mm -hmm. we got off the air. Jeff got about twenty seconds. Any last thoughts? Are you going to be at the Sixers game tomorrow? No, no. I'll be there next week. You'll be there next Charlotte. week. You be watching on TV though. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, we hope the Sixers and Flyers you? can keep it going. No, I don't go to anything. Oh, come on. I just come on and talk about it <laughs> on the radio with you. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us this week on The Heart of Sports. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.